0: hey guys i'm monica crowley and this is the monica crowley podcast thanks so much for joining me here on this wednesday we're midweek hope you're having a great week this is your go-to for hot liberty a safe space for all of us thought criminals independent thinkers And happy warriors. Don't forget to follow me on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and true social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I am at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. We will be getting back to your emails later this show, so keep them coming. I love hearing from you guys. All right, on Friday this week, we are going to have a very special conversation with former Secretary of State and CIA Director Mike Pompeo. I'm going to ask him all kinds of questions that you probably have not heard asked of him before. We're going to get into all kinds of very interesting things, very interesting things, from the CCP to the CIA to President Trump. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss this one. That is coming up on Friday. Next week, another big conversation with Peter Sweden, as he's known. He is a major player in Europe where they are way ahead of us on the Great Reset. He's going to be here to give us a full report of what is going down in Europe, because it's coming here. He's also leading the charge against it, and he's made some very, very intense enemies. That's going to be an incredible discussion coming up here next week. Lots of great stuff coming up on the fabulous Monica Crowley podcast. Tell all your friends and all of your family, they should be subscribing and listening to the show as you are. Okay, today we're going to chat with Congressman Tom Tiffany of Wisconsin, who was in the room last night for the State of the Disunion Address. He's also on the all-important House Judiciary Committee, so we're going to ask him about all kinds of investigations that they've got going. And what what comes next after the investigations, right? Because we're all out here pulling our hair out, very happy that we are investigating, very happy that we are exposing, but transparency is not enough, as important as it is. We need accountability. How far are they willing to go? Impeachments, contempt of Congress, jail time. This is what we need, so we will talk to him about that and find out what is going on on Capitol Hill. But first, the Monica memo. State of the Union addresses generally suck, but last night was the smallest State of the Union address by the smallest president in U.S. history. This was small bore stuff, from a small bore president. State of the Union addresses, you know, no president is going to wrap themselves in glory with a State of the Union address, it's generally you're, you're talking to your side of the aisle, but you're supposed to be talking to the country. And it's, it usually devolves into a laundry list of policy things, et cetera. So even the best orators like a Ronald Reagan or a Barack Obama, Donald Trump, these are not generally their best speeches, but it is a great opportunity to talk over the heads of the press directly to the American people. And what we saw last night was a very small speech. Usually, the speechwriters step up and inject a speech like this with at least a couple of soaring ideas and soaring rhetoric to bring the American people along, to inspire them, to elevate the conversation. They usually deliver some of that that is commensurate with the presidency, with the office even if the man himself can't really deliver a line like Joe Biden can't deliver anything. But usually the speechwriters try to build in some soaring rhetoric to match the office and inspire and elevate. And we got none of that last night. In fact, Biden's handlers loaded that speech with all kinds of small ball populist goodies for working class people because they are scared to death of the seismic political realignment that Donald Trump, if not began, certainly rode into office and could ride into office again. The America First movement, the populist movement, the Make America Great Again movement. Biden stole a bunch of material from Trump last night, talking about the forgotten men and women. We'll get into that in a second but he loaded it with all the small ball kinds of stuff because he was trying to talk to the forgotten men and women who are now voting Republican. Thanks in large part to Donald Trump, who gets no credit for anything, but he's the one who really rode this realignment. He saw it, and he gave voice to it in 2015 and 2016. He wrote it into the presidency, and then he delivered for them. He delivered for the forgotten men and women, those people used to be Democrats. They were union guys and gals. They, they were, you know, j- sort of dyed-in-the-wool Democrats because their parents and grandparents had been that way and had voted that way. And Trump spoke directly to them as a blue-collar billionaire, said, I get you, I see you, I hear you, and I will be your champion. Huge. It was a political and policy appeal, but it was also an emotional one. This is what people underestimate about Donald Trump all the time. And that kind of messaging and that kind of truth, that kind of emotional appeal, grounded in actually delivering in terms of policy and real results for the forgotten men and women, that could carry him back into the White House. I know times have changed since 2016, but... Those realities remain the same. And so Biden's handlers understand that, and that's why they just had this speech with chock-a-block kind of small bore kinds of stuff. Like he was out there talking about resort fees. I mean, blue-collar people can't uh, relate to that, so set that aside. But like airline fees, how about the non-compete for fast food workers? Um, And all kinds of other stuff that he had in there that was so small. It was, I'm not saying these things aren't important to the people who have to confront these things, but when he's talking about, well, if you work at McDonald's, you can't go across the street and work for Burger King. The president of the United States should not be talking about this. His surrogate should be talking about this. Other people at local levels should be talking about this. The president needs to have his vision much higher than these things. But the method to the madness here is because they are trying to reach the working class folks because they are petrified of of the whole Trump realignment that is long lasting, it is durable. And so they're terrified of it. Sarah Huckabee Sanders gave the rebuttal last night. She had many, many great lines in her talk, and she gave voice to it as well. She talked about that political realignment, and one of the most important things she said last night was, she goes, look, most of the American people understand now that the choice is between normal and crazy. Precisely so. But the left doesn't think they're crazy, so they, of course, are turning it around today to say, yeah, the choice is between normal and crazy. We're the normal ones, and the right is absolutely insane. I mean, you know, it's so it's just so predictable. But she's right to lay it out, and I think most of the American people see it that way, and that's why they're terrified. And that's why you got this very small, um, small vision speech rather than a big soaring one, which is really unfortunate. Um, speaking of Biden, let's talk about before we get into the meat of the lies, Biden himself, he wanted to present a very strong presidential image that he's not senile when in fact he is. I don't know if you guys saw the footage of him leaving the White House to go to the Capitol last night. He comes shuffling out of the White House to get into his car. Secret Service is holding the door open for him to the SUV. And he's got that dementia old man shuffle. And when you know it, you know it, right? I mean, there's a reason why people with dementia walk that way because their brain is locked in on one foot in front of the other. That's how he walks. And then with his presentation last night, it was clear that President Dementia, a couple of times he got very easily distracted. It was like, you know, a puppy watching a ball, go across the street, but then also seeing a car and wondering which one to chase. You know, when the room got a little raucous, and we'll talk to Congressman Tom Tiffany about this, when the room started to get raucous, he got distracted, and then he breaks into that smile, and you wonder, does he really know what's going on? Does he see it? Is he smiling because of that, or is he smiling because he's trying to process what's happening because he doesn't get it? When dementia patients are faced with a cacophony of sound, And they can't single out where the sound is coming from. They can't process the meaning of the sound. I saw that a couple of times in him last night. And then with the lapsing into inappropriate yelling, that is also a real tell. Whenever he raises his voice and starts screaming at everybody, he's trying to barrel through the material to convey energy and passion but it's a false sense of energy and passion. He's just trying to barrel through it by yelling so that people will read it as, oh, he knows what he's talking about and he feels very strongly about it. It reads false. It reads like he's been coached to do that because a lot of people who have dementia talk in a monotone. It's sort of the same. There's no real um, emotional inflection in the voice. And so I think Biden has been coached to raise his voice as a way of conveying inflection. But again, it reads, it reads really poorly and really false. So last night, listening to him just drone on with a million lies, um, you know, that's two hours of our life. We'll never get back. Uh, I want to break apart some of his lies here on things big and small, most of it was small, because the man is incapable of telling the truth. The State of the Union Address is in the Constitution. It's actually one of the few things mandated in the Constitution that the president shall report to the Congress on the State of the Union from time to time. Early presidents used to do it in writing. They would send like a written report to Congress And that's all it took, because that's really all the Constitution required. That was before mass media. I think we should go back to that. It's ridiculous to have this spectacle of a president just droning on with his laundry list of stuff, the whole performative nonsense. And this is presidents on both sides of the aisle, Okay, I mean, I I know they'll probably never give it up because every president wants to get out there in January or early February, talk to the nation in front of the, the House of Representatives and the Senate and the Supreme Court. I get it. It's a big spectacle and they all love it. But it's all performative. And we are now in a world of mass media where the president, whoever it is, is literally in our faces every day. We don't need to see him for the bajillionth time giving yet another boring, predictable speech. Ugh, it's all so tedious. That said, the dementia patient did give a speech last night, chock-a-block with lies. So let's take a quick break. I want to take a lot of it apart um, and bring you some of, the, <laughs> some of the highlights, or I should say lowlights, of last night. Because after all, if I have to suffer through it, so do you. (laughs) We will be right back. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Okay, welcome back. Let's start first with where Biden is actually coming from politically, not a strong position. You know, he keeps talking about how, oh, the state of our union is strong. They all use that line. It's just, again, so tedious, predictable, and boring. Um, and, and that's true even when the state of the union is strong, like under Trump or Ronald Reagan, okay? But when the State of the Union is falling apart, like it is under Biden, all of that stuff, it just rings false, and people just tune it out. Biden specifically, listen to his polling. This is the position from which he gave this speech last night. Polls from the Washington Post and ABC News, the AP, and CBS News slash YouGov all have Biden's disapproval rating in the mid to high 50s. People are not approving of his job performance for obvious reasons. The Washington Post-ABC News uh, poll shows 62% of Americans think Biden has accomplished, quote, not very much or little to nothing during his presidency. Actually, that's not true. He's accomplished a lot. It's just all really evil, counterproductive uh, stuff. 41% of Americans say they've become worse off financially since Biden took office. That's a major number, and that is going to be that's going to be severe for him, should he choose to run again. Sixty percent, 60 percent say Biden has not made progress improving roads and bridges in their community. Uh, remember, we had a massive infrastructure bill that a bunch of establishment Republican morons on the Senate side voted for. What was it? Well over a trillion dollars, right? That was in twenty twenty one where has that money gone? Not into infrastructure. So 60% of the American people are like, um, you just put us deeper into debt and created massive inflation to the point where I'm paying nearly 20 bucks for a dozen eggs. And all of that was supposed to be for improving our lives, including a massive infrastructure package, but we don't see it. People want services. They actually want to see with their own eyes the benefits of their tax dollars. Police, military, roads, bridges, they're not seeing it. In fact, the exact opposite. Things are falling apart. 60% say Biden has not made progress creating good jobs in their community. That's another whopper. Jobs in the economy driving a lot of this. So again, these are really, when you drill down into the numbers, really bad for Biden. NBC News last week had a different poll. They polled on Biden uh, specifically and personally, and get this, close to 70% of the American people polled think that Joe Biden is dishonest. The same number think he is divisive. The same number, upwards of 70%, think he is incompetent. And also the same number, close to 70%, think that he is lacking in the physical and mental ability to do the job. So they basically think he's too old, senile, whatever, can't do the job. Even the majority of Democrats do not want Biden to seek election. That is over 50%. About 70% of the American people overall do not want him to run again. They are not enthused. And I do not think that his performance last night is going to change any minds. Let's get into uh, some of that. Let's talk about the most raucous moment of the entire night last night, and that's when Joe Biden... Uh, began to lie about Republicans and their approach to Social Security and Medicare, putting out the lie that the GOP wants these entitlement programs to sunset. When he began uh, spewing these lies, which were so predictable, the GOP just erupted in anger because it was just such an obvious lie meant to uh, terrify and anger the American people a just straight up falsehood and the GOP was going to have none of it. So they erupted with many people, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, screaming back at him, liar. Listen.
1: Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. (laughs) Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Look, folks, the idea is that we're not going to be we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond,
0: folks. Well, I am of the opinion that the GOP did the exact right thing. I know a lot of people are wringing their hands. Oh, Chris Wallace and others saying, oh, the GOP should not have done it. It showed no class, and it played right into Biden's hands. Nonsense. Were they supposed to sit there and listen to Biden just blatantly lie about their approach to bringing down government spending? And no, they're all on the record, including Kevin McCarthy, saying, no, these programs are off the table. They need reform, but we're not going to destroy these programs. We're not going to pull the rug out from people. That's not how we're approaching this at all. And yet he still went out there and fear-mongered. So what were they supposed to sit there on their hands and just let him lie? Of course not. So, But the screaming and yelling and everybody this morning is like, oh, I can't believe the lack of decorum. I can't help but notice that some of the people who cheered when Nancy Pelosi ripped up Trump's State of the Union address right behind him are all triggered by the lack of decorum from some Republicans last night. Give me a break. The hypocrisy is just... It's its out there for everybody to see, right? I also just want to point out a little history lesson here. On May 22nd, 1856, The U.S. Senate, the world's greatest deliberative body, became a combat zone. This is according to the Senate's own history on the web. Well, what happened was, you know, the Republicans were anti-slavery. Remember, the Democrats are the party of slavery and the KKK. At the time, you had a U.S. Senator, Charles Sumner of Massachusetts. He was a Republican and very anti-slavery. And he was giving a major anti-slavery speech. And a Democrat uh, congressman from across the aisle, Preston Brooks, was so outraged by this because he wanted slavery preserved, like most if not all of the Democrats at the time, that he stormed into the Senate chamber with his cane and beat Senator Sumner to a bloody pulp. And then Brooks, the Democrat, calmly walked out of the Senate chamber without being detained, even though everybody was stunned. Nobody stopped him. Both men became heroes in their respective areas, Um, the anti-slavery crowd, the pro-slavery Democrats. And thank goodness Senator Sumner uh, recovered, and he served another 18 years in the Senate. Brooks uh, was censured by the House. He survived that. He was immediately reelected. But then he died shortly thereafter. So, you know, this kind of uh, behavior has been going on since the beginning of the republic. So don't start saying, oh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, how crass. I mean, leading up to the Civil War, we had people beating each other to a pulp almost to death on Capitol Hill. So come on, let's keep it all in perspective here, okay? And the Republicans absolutely did the right thing by letting their views be known okay, that he was lying. Okay, I want to hit a couple of other uh, topics that he lied about last night. Uh, let's roll the clip where he talks about unemployment, please.
1: An unemployment rate is a 3.4%, a 50-year low. <laughs> a
0: near record.
1: near record unemployment. A near record unemployment for black and Hispanic workers. We've already created, your help, 800,000 good-paying manufacturing jobs, the fastest growth in 40 years.
0: Okay, well, all of that is a lie. Americans are poor since Biden became uh, president. Since he took office, real wages are down, incomes are down, and savings are down. 166 million Americans say that they are living paycheck to paycheck. Inflation has outpaced wage growth for 21 months straight. He's out there talking about gas prices coming down. Well, gas prices were $2.39 per gallon when he took office, and they've only gone up since. Americans have lost $9,300 on average paying for the increased cost of living since Biden took office. Here he is talking about food prices coming down. Listen.
1: Food inflation is coming down. Not fast enough, but coming down. Inflation has fallen every month for the last six months. All take-home pay has gone up.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell that to the average American who's got to shell out nearly 20 bucks for a dozen eggs. Can't afford to make an omelet for your kids on the weekend, but he's out there saying food prices are coming down. Here he is talking about how his economic plan is about the people who feel like they've been left behind.
1: My economic plan is about investing in places and people that have been forgotten. So many of you listening to tonight, I know you feel it. So many of you felt like you've just simply been forgotten. amid the economic upheaval of the past four decades. Too many people have been left behind and treated like they're invisible.
0: He actually used the word forgotten there. So he's now blatantly stealing from Donald Trump. And again, I told you why. Because they are absolutely petrified of the populist movement that's created a real political realignment. So he's now just blatantly lifting from Donald Trump about the forgotten men and women. And finally, on the economy, he said at one point that he was a capitalist. Listen. Look, I'm a capitalist. I'm a capitalist, but pay your fair share. Look, man, I'm a capitalist. Well, yeah, but only if it's 10% for the big guy. And, of course, when it came to the border and China and the spy balloon and Russia and uh, Iran, other foreign policy challenges, he barely said a word. He barely said 100 words on the border and not a single one on the 1.2 million Godaways who have escaped into our country on his watch or the nearly 5 million illegals who we know have come into the country. The number is probably much higher than that anyway. These are like, you know, Uh, real government numbers, and the reality is probably a lot higher. So he just does these fast hit-and-run statements on things that are clearly failures on his part but are really deliberate policy in order to deliberately destroy the country. The American people deserve better than this guy and his radical party and their runaway inflation, surging crime, cities in collapse, wide-open borders, fentanyl pouring through, failing schools catastrophic foreign policy, the state of our union is worse than when Joe Biden took office. And you know, Reagan's famous question, are you better off today than you were four years ago? The answer, are you better off today than you were two years ago, is a resounding no. Even though when Biden came in, um, we were still in the grips of the pandemic and all of the chaos. Trump was bringing us back, bringing the economy back, bringing jobs back. So we were on a real upswing, even after that unprecedented crisis, and Biden has deliberately made it worse. Last night, Joe Biden was harsher to American energy companies than he was to communist China. He was more aggressive against Republicans than he was against the Mexican drug cartels trafficking human beings, fentanyl, and other drugs and weapons into this country. So he clearly makes it very clear who his actual enemies are, and it's not enemies of the United States like the CCP or the drug cartels or the Iranian regime or whatever. He makes it clear that his real enemies are us. The State of the Union last night was a disgrace. You know how Joe Biden always talks about, I give you my word as a Biden, like that means anything? Well, his words last night were perfect, For a Biden. When we come back, we're going to talk to Wisconsin Congressman Tom Tiffany, who is amazing. He was in the room last night. We'll talk to him about that and also his work on the Judiciary Committee with all of the investigations underway. But first, we are sponsored today by Donors Trust, the principled and tax friendly way to simplify your charitable giving. The Economist recently reported that American philanthropy is going woke and predominantly funding left wing causes. Do you want to help counterbalance this left wing influence? If so, consider listening to Giving Ventures. It'll give you an idea of the liberty minded organizations working to erase the heavy hand of government so individuals can prosper and thrive. Giving Ventures is a podcast designed to help donors and prospective donors discover new opportunities to change the world for the better. Twice a month, the Giving Ventures podcast highlights several nonprofit efforts, initiatives, and projects that leverage private philanthropy to solve public problems. Recently, they were joined by Star Parker, founder and president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, a charity that works with lawmakers to craft policy that lifts people out of poverty. Kendall Qualls, president of Take Charge MN, whose organization promotes common sense family policy and vocational training. Training. And the great Bob Woodson, founder and president of the Woodson Center, a charity that helps revitalize low income communities. The show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor-advised fund helping conservative and libertarian givers simplify, protect, and grow their giving. The team at Donors Trust regularly engages with the policy groups, student organizations, academic centers, and civil society nonprofits that endeavor to limit government, grow personal responsibility, and strengthen free enterprise. All the things we care about, right? If you care about those principles of liberty and if charitable giving is an important part of your life, Giving Ventures is the podcast for you. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and catch up on the latest episode by visiting www.donorstrust.org slash Monica. We're coming right back. Well, I'm so happy to welcome to the show for his debut appearance here on the Monica Crowley podcast, Congressman Tom Tiffany, who represents Wisconsin's 7th Congressional District and who serves on the all-important Judiciary Committee Investigations. Hello. He joins us right now. And Congressman, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you.
2: Hey, Monica, my maiden voyage with your show, I hope you will um, go easy on me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, you are now a friend to the show, so I go easy on no one, but you are a fantastic representative for your constituents and for the country and for those of us who believe in America first, so really happy to have you here. Um, Also really happy to have you with us because I know you had a late night last night attending that State of the Union address which was chock full of lies. So I I wanna get into it and then talk about your work on judiciary. And I also know that today, Joe Biden is visiting your home state of Wisconsin. We'll get to that too. But first, Congressman, what was it like in the room last night? Because for those of us watching on TV, it certainly had some pretty raucous moments coming from our side of the aisle. And then of course, the Democrats cheering his lies. So can you tell us what the vibe was like?
2: it's the same old stuff that's been going on for two years in an attempt to mislead the American people. But I mean, from the very start, I was sitting in the very back, Monica, but, um, you know, you hate to say it, but President Biden looks like a mannequin. I mean, it is, it is sad what you see up there at the rostrum, you know, in comparison to the previous occupant of the White House, who was called vibrant and You know, I mean, it just, it's, you know, I, I tell you, Monica, I hope this is not. Here's one of my takeaways. I hope this is not indicative. I hope Joe Biden is not the metaphor for America that we are in permanent decline.
0: You know, that's a really important point. And I was just making that point. I talk about it on this show on occasion. The American president is the personification of the country. And that's why throughout our history, we have uh, tended to reach for natural optimists like a Ronald Reagan, uh, vital, um, charismatic, robust individuals like a JFK or Barack Obama, if that were your cup of tea, or certainly a Donald Trump, to have this kind of ancient, decrepit guy who clearly, I mean, last night he just sort of screamed to try to convey energy, I guess. Um, But to have this this guy who clearly, you know, belongs like in an assisted living facility rather than at the podium last night, it, it just sort of symbolizes where the country is. Like every president, that's really disturbing.
2: There's no doubt about it. I've been saying to audiences for the what two and a half years that I've been out here in Washington, D.C., that it is very clear. Is the 21st century going to be an American century, just like the 20th century was, or is this going to be the Chinese century? And that is the great power contest that's going on at this point. And as you saw last weekend, we were on the losing side of one of those gambits. But it really is a test to see if America wants greatness in the 21st century. And that's in in the balance at this point, isn't it, Monica?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the critical question. We're really on a fulcrum here of history, Congressman. And that's why we're so grateful to have you fighting for this country and all of us uh, in the House, because, yeah, we're at this real tipping point and it's a very dangerous moment. Um, And for the people who want This managed decline they they have ways of rigging elections, so that they get in positions of power, so that they can continue this decline and that's also what's really disheartening and outrageous.
2: Yes, and that's why you know we keep telling people that these elections are absolutely critical, um, but they are at this point. And you, the phrase you use is very good. It was managed decline, and it's the globalists saying, you know, we do not believe in American sovereignty, and um, Joe Biden is their vessel, and th- they don't mind that he's up there at the rostrum, whether he's um, weak or not. Um, as long as that managed decline happens for America. And it's just, it's, it's our challenge, Monica. How do we convince the American people that this is not America? This is not who we've been for over 200 years.
0: Well, that's a real question, especially when we're trying to reach younger people because, you know, uh, people say over the age of 35 have a pretty good sense of what America used to be, whether it was under President Reagan, um, even under Bill Clinton, who I did not vote for, but, you know, he had a a pretty dynamic economy, at least for a period of time. He was a complete dishonest scumbag, but that's a different issue. Um, So a lot of people do have that touchstone of of America in the past with booming economies and vibrant culture and natural optimism, that's all gone. And so I'm worried about, you know, these kids who are being indoctrinated in schools, uh, being assaulted with Marxism, economic, political, and cultural Marxism in their schools, in the culture, every, uh, every direction. They don't have that sense of what America used to be. And I'm not sure Do you have any idea of how we can bring that back to them and show them what America was once like and how it can be um, again, but we're going to need them on board and changing their whole perspective? Any thoughts on that?
2: Yes, yeah, so I think we're still in the phase of the American people figuring out um, what Washington, D.C. has done to this country because it emanates from here. And what President Trump started in 2016 of exposing the swamp, exposing what Washington, D.C. really is, that's continuing. And that's why our work on judiciary right now is so important because people still trusted the FBI. And now they're finding out that you can't trust the FBI either. We really need a major house cleaning out in Washington, D.C. And the whole question is the um, analogy with a home. Is the rot in the home of Washington, D.C. so deep that you cannot fix the home? Or is it a case of where if you just strip it down to the walls, you can rebuild it? That's really the question um, before us at this point. And that's why our work like on judiciary, which I believe is lots of important committees out here. But judiciary is really at the forefront of protecting our basic freedoms, Freedoms, because, Monica, it's no longer uh, fighting with Democrats about taxes and regulations. It's about the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Constitution, and the founding principles.
0: Yeah, I mean they have been assaulting this country for decades. I keep reminding people that this is not something that began under Joe Biden or even Barack Obama. This is this is a full-on Marxist revolution that's been underway now for decades. So it is going to be a long-term project on our side as well. The American people need to understand that and really commit to it if we're going to save this country. You mentioned the judiciary committee you are on that committee Jim Jordan is the chairman. Can you give us sort of an overview of the investigations that you've already begun?
2: So the, um, uh, this week, the uh, subcommittee on weaponization starts. Now, I do not sit on the subcommittee, um, but a number of my colleagues on judiciary do, including uh, Representative Jordan. And um, I think it's going to be it, it, it's going to be very interesting to see what comes out of that. And I just hope that they really dig deep. And we're doing the same in terms of setting the table in the full Judiciary Committee. But the one thing we're really focused on right now is we had a hearing last week on uh, securing the border. We will be going to Yuma, Arizona, in two weeks to have a hearing out amongst the people of the United States, which, by the way, is one of the best things Speaker McCarthy is um, doing for all of us is just saying, I want you out in the field. I want you going around America to have these hearings so we hear from real Americans. But anyhow, those are probably the two primary things right now is the weaponization issue and then also securing the border. That is primarily what's before us here in the Judiciary Committee.
0: And I'm so glad to hear that because those are the two really big existential threats we face. I mean, we face a lot of really big threats, including the CCP and China. Uh, Iran with a nuclear weapon, possibly. But when you look here at home, uh, the weaponization of our own government against us, including the most fearsome agencies of the US government, the DOJ, the FBI, the IRS, they have all been turned against us if we have wrong think, if we vote the wrong way, et cetera. We're now effectively in a tyranny. So I'm really glad that you were digging into that and also the border. I mean, if you don't, if you don't have an enforced border, where you don't have national sovereignty and you also don't have clean and fair elections, you have no country. And I think we are way past that point. So I'm happy to hear that the uh, committee is digging into these things. Do you think that there will be impeachments of key figures like Mayorkas who heads up DHS overseeing the border, Merrick Garland, the attorney general overseeing the weaponization of the law enforcement agencies in this country, will there be impeachments?
2: First of all, I hope we do not do like the Democrats where we go in prejudging um, whether we should impeach or not. First of all, investigate, find the information, and then you decide whether you're going to impeach. I believe in the situation with Mayorkas, when you look at what the Border um, uh, Border Patrol um, uh, troops have said, where they, they've said, um, Secretary Mayorkas is lying to you, the American people. Numerous of those Border Patrol agents have said that. I think that really sets him up for um, exposure to being impeached. And based on the things that I've seen, I think we really need to dig into that and possibly impeach, starting with Mayorkas, because he is flat out lied to the American people. And by the way, this was something that uh, we made very clear last night uh, when you heard some of the comments from the House floor in regards to President Biden talking about the fentanyl families. He has done nothing. In fact, he's done worse than nothing in opening the border. The fentanyl has... If for no other reason, set aside the terrorism things, uh, which is bad enough, set aside the human trafficking, America's, our government is now the largest human trafficker, perhaps in the history of the world, just the fentanyl deaths alone being the number one killer of young people, for no other reason, we should have a national emergency and closing down the border for that, Monica.
0: Yeah, exactly. And for him to bemoan the fentanyl deaths in this country when it's all of his making with the wide open border, it was so just disingenuous. It was just such a flat out lie. You know, the old expression, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. That, that, was, uh, that was last night. You know, I, I am really glad that, that the Judiciary Committee, House Oversight, etc., you're all digging into these issues. It needs investigation and all of these facts. Uh, need to be exposed, but I think there's a lot of frustration on the part of the American people. I'm sure you hear it from your constituents all the time, which is, well, that's all well and good that you're doing these investigations, but then what? Are you willing to hold these people accountable? We mentioned impeachments. I know you've got subpoenas flying. They're being met with uh, a lot of stonewalling from the administration, the DOJ, DHS, etc. Are you guys willing? to step up and take it to the next level if the stonewalling continues and enforce these subpoenas? Are you willing to hold people, including department heads, um, members of the cabinet, in contempt and enforce uh, those measures?
2: Um, I certainly support that. I won't speak for other members, but I anticipate that we will. I mean, what you've cited is the dual system of justice, and we hear it from constituents all the time. Why are there two different systems of justice here in the United States of America for elites like Hunter Biden, Hillary Clinton, and others? Why does that exist? And uh, you've got J6 prisoners that are um, still languishing there a year and a half, two years later. Um, They want the dual system of justice to And I hope and I know I will be voting to hold them in contempt if they do not provide the information that we need. And by the way, that's not just the Judiciary Committee. I also sit on the Natural Resources Committee. I expect to do the same thing in regards to the alphabet agencies like EPA, um, Department of Interior, and others.
0: Yeah, well, we need that 100 percent because— Again, all of this stuff needs sunlight on it. The American people need to see these crimes and they need to see uh, the weaponization. They need to see exactly what's going on because the propaganda press will not bring it to them. The Democrats continually lie. So we're relying on you um, to really expose this stuff. But I think the American people say that's well and good, but we need action. We need consequences and accountability in addition to the transparency. And so I'm happy to hear that you're going to be willing to, to enforce these subpoenas and hold people in contempt if necessary.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yes. That is what we should be doing as a committee. I mean, if they're not going to provide documents, if they're going to lie to the American people, there must be consequences. We now are in position. You know, we don't have the the uh, ability to be judge and jury, but we at least have the ability to be able to get all that information and ferret it out. And while it's going to be tough work, the Biden administration and his billionaire um, uh, consigliers. They're going to, I don't know if I'm using the right term there, Monica, or not, but those people that are backing Biden with their billions of dollars, they're going to fight us every step of the way, but we need to stand up in this moment in time.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, one of the many great things President Trump did was lift the veil on all of this. I mean, he really blew so much of the corruption right out of the water. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, he didn't drain the swamp. Well, first of all, he he had no idea how deep and how putrid the swamp was when he got there. And as powerful as a president of the United States is, he is still just one man. So he can only do so much, especially when it's brand new. You know, he had never done any of this before, but also he's getting into government for the first time looking around going holy smokes this is a lot worse than anybody thought so now we're at the point where a lot of americans uh, understand just the depth of this corruption and rot and you're doing a great job in exposing it and so the next step will be accountability we're getting transparency but now we need people held to account and to your point about the double standard for justice the DOJ, I mean, what is up with the Department of Justice? Do they just ignore you when you, you send requests for information, subpoenas? And, and apart from holding people in contempt, is there any other recourse you have in order to get these documents and people in front of the committee?
2: They're going to stonewall, obfuscate, do whatever they can to not reveal uh, reveal this information. They've been doing it for the last two years, but we do now have subpoena authority. Uh, If we need to go to the courts in order to enforce those subpoenas, that's exactly what we need to do, but they're going to play rope-a-dope for the next two years. We need to be very persistent about this and demand answers in regard to this and We got to go out and share this information with the American people. They need to understand the American people. I mean, look at the polling right now. Joe Biden is uh, talking about peeing on someone's leg. He's telling the American people, hey, we got things going in the right direction. All you got to do is look at the public polling. 60 to 70 percent of the people are like, "America's not going in the wrong or going in the right direction. Well, many out here in Washington, D.C. may think that. The people around America know better. They're a better weather vane at this point than looking to Washington, D.C. to see the direction our country's going in. And they know we're not in a good spot.
0: Yeah. I mean, when he talked last night about grocery prices, food prices are coming down and the average American is going to the grocery store and it's 18 bucks for a dozen eggs, Um, that that is not going to wash with them, right?
2: Do you think he has any idea how much a dozen eggs is? Do you think he has any idea what's going on out there? No, he he does not.
0: He does not. And he hasn't for a very long time, for a whole variety of reasons. Um, Before we let you go, Congressman, can you talk to us a little bit about what the House GOP is considering next in terms of legislation. I know it's got to be very frustrating for you because you want to pass all kinds of great pieces of legislation, like the defunding of the 87,000 new IRS agents, which you guys did. You really want to take a proactive stance in doing that and forcing the Democrats to take votes on these pieces of legislation, which is also really important. But you pass it, and then it goes to die in the U.S. Senate Uh, for the most part, because it's Democrat controlled. And also you have all of these Republican establishment types like Mitch McConnell, Mayor Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, who just join with the Democrats and bury this stuff anyway. So is it a source of frustration for you? That's number one, um, that your hard work gets sent over to the other chamber and it dies. Um, And two, at least making the gesture with these um, pieces of legislation. Can you tell us what's next on the docket?
2: I think it's more than a gesture. We have eight bills, and this is really important for your listeners, Monica. We have eight bills that are teed up to secure the border. And remember, this is about securing the border, not illegal immigration. We secure the border first, and then we deal with the immigration issue because we believe in having legal immigration in this country. But you have to have a secure border first. We have eight bills teed up. People need to contact. They're Republican House members because we have some people that are very hesitant to jump on and, um, supporting these bills to secure the border. They're eight very common sense bills that will help secure the border, have a reasonable immigration system, and we need to get those done. I'm hoping that after we do our Yuma trip in two weeks, that we're gonna be able to tee those up. I think that's the most important thing we can do. Of all the issues, and there's plenty of important issues, right? We are no longer a sovereign nation with what's going on in the Southern border. I believe it's the number one issue before us As the American people, we need people, your listeners need to be telling their congressional representatives, you need to support those eight bills, vote for them.
0: That's another really important point, and I'm glad you raised it. Everybody listening today, I don't care what congressional district you're in or what state you're in, you need to be leaning on your representatives to support these bills coming out of the House. Lean on them to vote in a positive way um, with what the House uh, GOP leadership is leading on, especially on the border, but in every direction, you're exactly right. They do respond to their constituents, at least most of the time. <laughs> so uh, if you mobilize and send them firm, but respectful emails, call their offices, send them old school letters, whatever it takes. What do you find, uh, Congressman, before we let you go? what? How do people, how do your constituents communicate with you most? Is it by email? Do they call the office? How?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Phone calls, emails is how they get to us, how I communicate to them. I put out a weekly update called the Tiffany Telegram. We talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C., as well as in the district. And the other thing I do, Monica, is I do a lot of listening sessions. I try to do them quarterly around the district. In fact, I'm going to be doing some, uh, some next week. I love it when people come out, including people that do not agree with me. I love it when they come out and ask the questions. What is this about? Why did you vote this way? Because we should have to answer to our constituents.
0: Yes, you should. And it's accountability. And we appreciate that. Um, Your Twitter handle, your Twitter account is really spicy. Everybody should go and follow you. You are at Rep Tiffany, correct?
2: That is correct.
0: You are fantastic on social media, and you are just such a dynamic representative for both the people of Wisconsin's 7th Congressional District, but for the rest of us. Final question for you. Um, The president is visiting Wisconsin. I think he's going to Madison today. What do you expect from that?
2: So I suspect you know what Madison is all about, no different than Austin, Texas, Berkeley, places like that. Why wouldn't he go someplace where the progressive left is going to hail hail him? Uh, what I would say to President Biden, if you really want to know, those people you were talking about last night, the blue-collar people and stuff like that, why aren't you going to Sheboygan? Why aren't you going to Wausau? Why aren't you going to Superior? If you really want to talk to those blue-collar people that you claim to know so well, rather than going to the rich college town of Madison, Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, we know why. Because he's at home with the radicals instead of like the dairy farmers. And I know you grew up on a dairy farm, right? That's exactly right. Okay. So the last time, which was also the first time I was ever in Wisconsin a couple of years ago, I I was giving a series of speeches and I hadn't eaten all day. And as a gift, one of my hosts handed me a bag of cheese curd. And let me just tell you, I polished it off. It was my dinner, and it was one of the most delicious things I've ever had.
2: My family's farm, we sold to the cooperative uh, creamery that makes the best cheese curds in the world. It's the Ellsworth Cooperative Creamery in western Wisconsin. I'm going to get you some, Monica.
0: (laughs) I love it. I would love it so much. I'd be (laughs) deeply, deeply grateful, Congressman. (laughs) Listen, thank you so much for what you're doing on behalf of all of us and for standing up to the Democrats and fighting this evil and fighting for America first. We so appreciate you. And I want to thank you so much for joining us here again today.
2: Yeah, hope to join you again soon, Monica. Thank you.
0: Anytime. Open invitation. Congressman Tom Tiffany of Wisconsin. Follow him on Twitter at Rep Tiffany. He is just a dynamic voice for all of us. Okay, in our final moments here, just a couple of last thoughts about what we saw last night. Getting back to that raucous moment where the Republicans really pushed back against his lies on Social Security and Medicare. He was just out and out booed. He probably did expect that. I mean, he looked in his dementia state like he was uh, shocked by it. And it did look like he was flustered. And you could literally see it happening. He overstepped and all of that was put in the speech on purpose. And then he got booed and then he decided to walk it back in real time i mean obviously they're going ahead with all of these lies but it was he was so put off by it he was so off kilter um, through the whole display, that he actually um, kind of like tried to backtrack a little bit, and that just got the shouts going even stronger from the Republican side. Again, Marjorie Taylor Green looking totally chic in that winter white coat with the fur collar; she looked amazing. Then there was Kirsten Cinema in that you know her fashion choices are always really out there, and I respect that. I really do. I mean, she's, she's into fashion, and she wears what she wants to wear, and I, it's always respectful, and I think it's great. She was in this bright yellow dress with massive sleeves. That dress would not have been my choice, but good for her. Making a statement, and the camera just loved these fashion choices. So the camera was all over Kristen Cinema and Marjorie Taylor Greene, so good for them. But I did love how Biden was... He was really put off balance by the reaction, got flustered, booed into walking it back a little bit, even though he didn't mean it. And all of that happened in real time. Again, the the dementia part of this, where he was um, distracted by the cacophony of sounds coming at him, he couldn't focus on one thing. You can see it in his eyes actually, right? It's like what Congressman Tiffany said, that he's like a shell of a man. So he gets lost trying to track the sounds and where they're coming from in the room. Um, A lot of people say it's sad. It might be sad for his family. It it is a tragedy and an outrage for America that we are now in this position with this kind of commander-in-chief and president who doesn't know what planet he's on. We are angry about that. We're not saddened by it. We are angry about it. I will say one final point on the whole Social Security uproar. His posture on this, I I think, was smart in the sense that he's out there distracting everybody with the lies about the GOP and Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, other economic benefits, while actively focusing his entire administration on the woke cultural radicalism, the Marxist revolution. So in a way, you know, he put it out there. He knew it was a lie. He got the reaction. He got all flustered. But they put it in the speech as a shiny object to distract you from what the administration is actually doing in a much deeper, more profound, and more dangerous way, which is that woke cultural radicalism. We got to keep our eyes on the ball. Guys, that's what this podcast is all about. This is what we bring you every day. Not the distractions, which the propaganda press will cover because they want you focused on that stuff, but on the big picture, what's actually going on here. We don't fall for the shiny objects. We tell you exactly what's going on on a much more profound level. Uh, As we close out the show today, uh, speaking of what in Sam Hill is going on, two things. First of all, Bono seated with Paul Pelosi... What was that about? <laughs> bono didn't even get a shout out, at least I didn't hear it. I mean, he was just sitting in the gallery and no shout out, no attention. The cameras were on him for for a bit, but I mean, bono what 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 was going on there? The other thing I want an answer to is that somewhat passionate kiss between the two first ladies, Dr. Jill. And Kamala's husband, Doug Elmhoff, whatever his name is, when Jill Biden came into the gallery to sit down, she gets all this applause. And Kamala's husband comes right in for a kiss, and it was on the mouth. Guys, I don't know what is going on in this White House, but something's going on. I mean, I was like, am I watching an episode of Melrose Place in reruns, or am I watching the State of the Union? I don't know. I don't know. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for joining me, as always, and for checking out our great sponsors. We all really appreciate that. Um, On Friday, as I mentioned, a really important and fascinating, wide-ranging conversation with former Secretary of State and CIA Director Mike Pompeo. Um, I'm going to ask him some things you probably haven't heard him being asked before, it is going to be a conversation not to be missed. That's going to be here on Friday. All right. So have a great rest of your week. I will see you right back here on Friday for a brand new show. Again, not to be missed. I'll see you then.